Okay, just before we bring James Myrtle in, I want to play this Sheldon Keith audio on William Nylander so we can all kind of give a little reaction to it on the other side. I think it just gives context as to William Nylander and his maturity and uh, needing less pushes from Sheldon Keith like he has in the past. Let's, let's roll that now, Owen. I think it's a combination of things. It's a combination of, I mean, he's, he's maturing. Um, you know, I think over time you... You get sick of having the coach in your ear all the time, and you want to just you want to get that sorted out yourself before the coach has to come and, and get there. I also think our players internally, uh, amongst themselves, are pushing each other. Those those top guys, they're pushing each other. Uh, and like I said, Willie, I think has potential to be in that top tier. You know, Austin and Mitch have really established themselves in that very exclusive top tier in the league. Willie should be right there hanging with those guys and. Um, he's pushing himself, and then they're all pushing one another, which I think is how, the, how that group gets to even greater heights. They're soaring to great heights right now, Frankie. And with that, let's bring in from The Athletic, James Myrtle. And, and James, we just heard Sheldon Keefe kind of talk about William Nylander and how he might be entering the conversation that, that he kind of wasn't in before with or with Marner and Matthews kind of existing in their own solar system at, at the top of the Leafs roster and everybody else kind of being uh, in a different stratosphere. But William Nylander, is, is he entering the conversation to belong as a part of that upper echelon group? Yeah, I, you know, last I checked, he was seventh, tied for seventh in the NHL in goals. He was in the top 20 in scoring and points. You know, he's had good seasons and he had a breakout season last year with a career year, but this is another level for him. And the thing I really like about Nylander is he's been good from day one. He was good in training camp. He was good in preseason. He was good, right? Even when the most of the Leafs weren't good, I think you could you could probably argue Nylander was their best player or their second best player, maybe to John Tavares early in the year. And you know, it's it's been there the whole way through. And you you play him with uh, Tavares, you play him with Matthews. He's been good either way. And he's just he's such a weapon. And he he's got a great shot. He's a great passer great stick handler. He just makes some of those moves look effortless. And I think what you're seeing right now is William Nylander at the peak of his powers. You know, he's in his career peak in terms of his age. And it just seems like the last couple of years, he just keeps getting better and better. And, you know, I, I wonder, you know, he's obviously, I think 40 goals as well within reach. You wonder if he's a guy who can get 45 or maybe even 50 one year, just with the, his skill level. And all of a sudden he's looking like a guy that you really want to keep around when, when that contract comes up in another year and a half. Yeah. So James, you've covered Willie right from day one, right from when he was drafted here, when he broke into the league, like, is this, is this kind of what you expected Nylander to get to? Or did you maybe expect him to get here earlier or, or not at all? Like, where did you kind of see the progression of Willie Nylander, um, you know, from, from his arrival onto the scene here in Toronto? Mm, I, th- I would say he's exceeded expectations. I mean, playoffs notwithstanding. I mean, I think there's, you know, the core head guys have a lot to prove in the playoffs. But, you know, he was an eighth overall pick. He slipped a little bit. I remember when they took him, it was a little bit of a surprise because a lot of people were talking about, you know, like, I th- I'm pretty sure that was like the Nick Ritchie year that everyone was talking about. And are they going to go with with size? Or are they going to go for a defenseman? And and that was right after Brendan Shanahan came in as president. It was like the first pick that was made with Brendan Shanahan in the organization. And I remember when they took William Nealander at the draft, it's like, oh, I see. They're like, this is going to be like the beginning of the skill movement uh, at the top of the organization, and it, it's played out that way. So, you, you know, I think that the only missing piece for Nylander really in terms of 
you know, his his presence uh, among the best players is is to have a, an amazing postseason. And that's not to say he's been terrible in the playoffs of late, but. You know, I look at you, you look at how many goals the Leafs are getting from their top four scorers lately. It's something like 66% of their goals over the last 20 games have come from the four guys. That's kind of what they need in a playoff series. You know, you look at what Dreisaitl and McDavid did in, in the playoffs last year, and they had some series where they just dominated and the other team couldn't handle them. And the Leafs have that talent, and William Nylander has that talent. And so that's what we're all waiting for, and we're definitely seeing it right now during the regular season. Yeah, he's he's been actually decent in the playoffs. Everybody else dries up in the playoffs, but Nylander's been able to get a couple off. Um, but you're right. I think everybody on the Leafs just needs that postseason success in order to really cement themselves as those top, top guys, even though they're playing like they are right now. Uh, with James Myrtle right now of The Athletic, and, and you were just talking about William Nylander and, and when he was drafted, but we're getting a really good look at two of the Leafs' former draft picks in, in Lilligren and Sandine that have really blossomed into impact players on this roster. How impressed by, are you by the stride that those two have taken this year? Yeah, and, and doing it together, too, and doing it on a second pair. And yeah. The, the question with those guys is, you know, like small, smaller-skilled defensemen, were they going to stall out as third-pair guys, or were they going to be able to take the next step? And this is around the age where you would want to see them do it. And we've seen other players, you know, Travis Dermott's a good example, like just never was able to make that jump from being a 14-minute-a-night guy that's on the third pair to being something more than that. And right now, over the stretch that they've been playing together, and they've been playing in the top four, it's like, okay, you can like you can really see the confidence in, in growing in both of them. You can see what they're bringing to the table that allows them to play in the top four. I didn't expect them to do it as a pairing just because they both bring somewhat similar elements. But I, I've been super, super impressed. And, and i I got to say, it's a little bit unexpected. I thought they would be in trouble with, I think everyone probably did, with all the defensemen that they're missing and who they were going to have to rely on. But Giordano's been great. Hall's been great. And, and the kids on, on that second pair have been really, really good. And I like the way that Sandin's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's he's smart and he just moves the puck well. And Lilgren's just turning into a really nice all-around defenseman. And I think we, we saw some of that from Lilgren last year. He was playing with Giordano towards the end of the year. Looked really, really good, really solid. He would have been the one I would have expected to, to be a little bit further ahead. But now Sandin, you know, had a little bit of the contract dispute, and he comes back and a little bit of a slow start, and now he's playing great. So really, really good sign for the Leafs that potentially they have these two young guys making not very much against the cap for this season and next, and they might be able to be top four defensemen here right away. Yeah, you mentioned two smaller guys, two skill guys, uh, both having really good years. Um, this is going to be a little bit negative energy of me, but I'm going to ask it anyways because I, <laughs> I don't usually ask the negative energy questions. Does the smaller skilled defenseman worry you in the postseason at all? I, I heard a, I forget if it was Overdrive recently saying something like you, you need one defense for the regular season and, and a different kind of set of defense for the postseason because it, it just really changes out there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and there's definitely been that school of thought around the NHL. I mean, you look at some of the teams that have won recently, like look at Tampa and all the size they have on the back end there and St. Louis and Washington when they won, like just you get a lot of guys 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", and the Leafs blue line is is built a little bit differently than that. It's you know it's it's not especially without Muzzin. You know they don't have Labushkin from last year. There's not yeah. a physicality. There's not a clearing the net ability. I still think the Leafs are going to try and add someone like that. Um, you know by the trade deadline uh, by March third. But the question is, if you add somebody, who do you take out? You know once Riley's healthy, it's you know it feels like everybody's played well. 
maybe that's a luxury. You know, you bring someone else in and then, you know, you're sitting someone who's, who's played well, that's, that's depth, right? And then if you have an injury, you feel really comfortable with what you've got. But I think it's, it's a fair criticism of the blue line that they don't have that element and that things could potentially change in the playoffs. And it's something they're certainly going to have to be aware of. It's interesting when you think about the playoffs too, because I've I've always been of that mindset that you need certain guys that you know have that long range kind of bigger defensemen to to compete and succeed in the playoffs. But then watching Colorado last year, James, it felt like they were so efficient at getting the puck out of their zone that they spent so little time in there. And then I'm watching guys like. Byram and McCarr and um, you know even like a guy like Manson and, and Johnson like those guys they're big but they're not mutants you know they're not like devouring guys in the corners they're just Manson's playing a, kind a, a of a good mutant. game he's a mutant but he's, he's not borderline like, he's mutant. Not massive he's not Chara he's not right. like that he's 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 Nails a bigger that. guy what is he six foot two six foot three two hundred yeah, pounds like that's tough. not crazy in today's NHL but but if you like. Like so, so you need the big mutants until the day that someone wins a cup without those guys, and then you say, "Oh yeah, now we need the guys who move the puck out every single time on the first try, and we exit our zone at ninety percent every game." Like, is that something that's attainable? Is that like, can they flip the script that way? I don't. I mean, they're doing it right now, right? So the question is. When you get in a, game, a series, a seven-game series against Tampa or Boston, is are you going to be able to be as effective? Like it's one thing to do it against L.A. on Game 28 of the season, and just like they just completely crushed the Kings by doing what just what you're saying that not spending any time in their zone and just firing it back up. And the interesting thing too about the composition of the Leafs blue line is it's not like they have the best skaters in the world. It's not like like they don't have a bunch of Macars. Not that no one has a bunch of Macars, but you know what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's not like, like Giordano's not fast. Hall's not fast. Sandine's not like, it's not like they're blazing all around. It's, it's almost like they're just making smart outlet plays, like kind of like a Sandine. Like he's not, not the most agile guy out there, not the prettiest skater, but it doesn't matter because he's putting the puck in the right places and finding teammates. And, um, I don't know. I maybe there's a world where that works in the playoffs. I just I don't know. It's I I it, I definitely think that there's something to the game being different and there needing to be a level of physicality that's different and whether or not they can accomplish that without guys like Muzzin Lubushkin it remains to be seen. Ah, dot, dot, dot. It will be seen. With James Myrtle of The Athletic right now. Uh, in this 14-game point streak right now, James, Austin Matthews has 20 points. Uh, you tweeted the other night that he's now on pace for 44. Do you just see him continue to heat up? Like, do you see him starting to look more like himself? And I guess to quote your, your famous uh, your famous line, <laughs> 50 goals, you, you say I, he does it? Yeah, I think he can get to 50, yeah. I mean, and... You know, it's the team hasn't said anything, and Matthews hasn't said anything. But he he had to have been banged up there early in the year. He just wasn't shooting the puck the way that you had seen him last year, and it was a pretty stark. You know, I, it, Frankie was saying off the top, just like all the things that Matthews brings defensively, and we're seeing that. And if you look at the underlying numbers, like expected goals and puck possession and things like that, Matthews is first on the team, and he has been all year. You know, he's still bringing that that two way play. But now you're starting to see more of the pop in his shot and his stick handling, and that's what he needs to get. And, you know, if you force me to make a prediction, I think he's probably going to fall around 55 goals. And 
whether or not that's going to put him in the conversation for the rocket again is going to depend on what happens with some of the other stars around the league. Like is McDavid right now, I think is on pace for like 72 or 73 goals. Like if he's going to do that and and just go completely ballistic, then Matthews isn't going to be able to catch him. But you know, if McDavid and and Tage Thompson and, and uh, uh, Jason Robertson and Dallas, if they come back to the pack a little bit, maybe Matthews is going to have a chance. And if he stays healthy, maybe he's going to have a chance to get back in that conversation here towards the end of the year. And there's, there's been so much noise around Marner and his, his point streak and the team's play and, and Willie Nylander and all these great stories, but it, it really feels like, you know, Matthews has six goals in his last seven games and he's starting to heat up, but it feels really quiet. And it's, it's because a lot of the stuff you said, like McDavid is out in front, Robertson's having a great year, Tage Thompson, but like at some point, it's, it's going to have to, there's going to be a little more noise with Matthews, wouldn't there be? I, you know what, it, I, like I, even last year, it's like you start to take it for granted, which which sounds bad. You know, he gets 60 goals in 73 games last year, and it's just like, yeah, he's just going to score all the time. And it's not a story with Matthews until he's like just completely lighting the world on fire and winning games single-handedly because otherwise it's, you know, like his version of a disappointing, quote-unquote disappointing season is a 44-goal pace. Like that's a career year for the vast majority of the stars in the NHL. So I just think he set the bar so high last year that for him to generate buzz, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take something really special. Yeah, I like Jonas's piece, uh, his, his little Monday morning report today on just the nightmare fuel scenario that Matthews and Marner are, are currently causing for opposing NHL coaches. Uh there was so much noise at the beginning of the season as to not even at the beginning of the season. It wasn't that long ago. Matthews and Marner were split up and there was always this assumption that eventually they would be put back together. But right now, is there a better scenario than both of these guys just absolutely rolling on two separate lines and just causing that absolute headache for NHL coaches who are trying to line match? No, I really like it. And I think it will help him in the playoffs as well. And I like the way that Tavares looks with Marner and I like the way, and with Nylander playing as well as he is, I, when they broke into the league, Nylander and Matthews played a lot together and I, they were so fun to watch. Like they're, they're very different players. They have a different style, but they're so skilled and Nylander's not quite the setup man that Marner is because very few players in the league are, but they're just, I, I don't know. It's like revisiting what they were doing earlier in their careers and putting them together again. And you can see that they're better players now and they're kind of, they're using each other in different ways than they did back then. And it's just made them a really entertaining team to watch. And I, I, I guess the question for the Leafs is which one of those forward lines is, is lazy or line that you want to play against other teams, top lines, because when you have Matthews and Marner together, they're both so good defensively. It's a no brainer that you're like, we're going to play those guys against Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron or, or against, you know, Kucherov or like you, you feel really good about that. When you split them up, it's less certain which of the, your lines you want to bury in the D zone and things like that. So that's why I think they stuck with it for so long, but as long as they're rolling like this, I wouldn't change anything. It almost feels like, remember when, when Marner's contract was coming up and, and there was a lot of talk about, well, you know, Marner's drives the line even though Tavares is a centerman. And that was fair at the time. And, and maybe over the years that, that Tavares and Nylander have played together, they've, they've lost a little bit of that. And I don't want to say drive because that's not the right term, but maybe they needed someone to drive that line a little more. And so now there was a little bit of an internal, you know, uh, solution 
where you know Nylander goes up with Matthews, Tavares goes back with Marner, and now you see that second line or so-called second line gets driven more because Marner is out there with Tavares. Yeah, and they don't have the left wing that they like on that line either, right? So, you know, if you if you've got like last year, you have Tavares and, and Nylander, and you got Kerfoot there, and it's not really working. And then all of a sudden, it's like it's really felt like they had a first line and they had a second line. Whereas right now, with how they're playing, it's like they have two first lines. It's like both of those. Like if you have Marner there and you have Matthews there, and they're both on these huge point streaks, and they're both on pace for, you know, a hundred points or whatever. Like that's really like having two first lines. And with the amount, not not to go back to the money and everything again, but like with the amount they're allocating to the salary cap, that's kind of what they need. Like they need they need that like McDavid dry cycle thing where you can you can play them together or you can split them up. Like remember when the Chicago Blackhawks were so dominant and they won three Stanley Cups in six years and they had the ability to put Kane and Taves together, but they also had the ability to split them up. And either way, the other team had to try and adapt to it, and it was really, really difficult for them to do it. So I think that this makes sense, and I think that you know if there's a piece that the Leafs could add right now, if they can get another left winger there, all of a sudden you're looking at two really, really strong lines, and I think they're in good shape. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned him right there, and and we I meant to bring him up today, but we haven't yet. Alex Kerfoot. Where are you at with him right now? There's been more and more conversation about his cap hit with the Leafs wanting to bring in that uh, forward that you were just talking about, and I feel like he's been in kind of a tough spot because it feels like he doesn't have a, a really regular role. He just kind of gets plugged into the spot where Sheldon Keefe needs a hole plugged. But do the Leafs need more from him right now? Yeah, he's not playing with a lot of confidence to my eye. You know, he's passing when he should be shooting and, and vice versa, although more so he's passing when he should be shooting. And, you know, he's getting looks. And Kerfoot's a, a really cerebral person and a cerebral player. And I think when it goes the wrong way for him, he has a tendency to kind of overthink things a little bit. And I think that's what you're seeing on the ice. And, you know, it very well. if the Leafs want to make big splashes at the trade deadline, they've got some cap space with the Muzzin on LTIR and that money, but that's probably, you're probably only looking at like three and a half or four million. If they want more than that to make a move at the deadline, there's some money that's going to have to go out. And I, you know, I mean, I, it would be, you know, Engvall's 2.25 or Kerfoot's 3.5 that they could look at moving and creating some more cap space. So, that's why potentially you're hearing Kerfoot's name out there is just if the Leafs want to make a big splash and bring in a really big contract, which they might. I mean, there's some really interesting forward names available out there that make a lot of money. Then you might send Kerfoot the other way, and he's in the last year of his contract. Engvall's in the last year of his contract. Neither one of them is likely to be back. Um, so why not move them the other way if you're making an upgrade up front? One winger who's been playing great, especially of late, is, is Michael Bunting, who has... He's on an eight-game game point streak, and he, and he scores against Calgary. And, like, how underrated has his game been? Because last year, he kind of burst onto the scene with the Matthews and Marner line, and then it was, now he's in the conversation for the Calder. And so there was a lot of noise there. But this year, it's like, you know, after a little bit of a slow start, like like everyone else had with this team, it's been, he's he's been playing really, really good hockey of late, and, and it almost feels like it's been underrated with all the things that have gone on with this team. Yeah, and I've, I've just noticed him a lot more, right? Like, he's just in the play. He's he's chirping, and, he, and he's battling in the corners, and he's in front of the net, and, you know, and that's what he needs to do. He just needs to be hyper-engaged and just all over the place and ca- causing problems, and um, we weren't. We didn't see a lot of that the first ten, fifteen games, and 
you know, it's going to be really interesting with Bunting, you know, where they land. Like, is he going to be a long-term core piece? Is he someone, you know, he's a hometown guy, obviously loves playing there. He's become really close just off the ice with Matthews and Marner as well. Um, there's a good fit there. And, you know, I think it, how the rest of his season goes is really going to play a big part in determining whether or not he's a long-term piece in the Leafs' top six. And I think you're right. I think if he plays like he has the last 10 games, then I think it makes sense to try and keep him because he brings something different than a lot of the players the Leafs have up front. Absolutely. We're talking about eight years. I remember that was getting floated at the beginning <laughs> of the year. and Not exactly the case right now, but a lot of intrigue around Michael Bunting and a lot around the Leafs. Thank you so much, James, for, for your insight, for taking the time. We'll catch up uh, down the road. Okay, great. Have a good day, guys. Thank you.